Welcome to episode 7 of the Naked Faith Podcast. Hey, this is Monty. Hey, for the next couple episodes, I'm going to be sharing from um, one of the chapters in my book uh, called Sacred Space. And I'm going to be talking about and having a conversation around the concept of moving some of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Maybe a different way to say it is how to move from bitter wounds that exist in our life to experience healing and to turn bitter wounds into sacred wounds. And I think this is really important because as people, when we walk around wounded and never deal with the wounds, it has a way of leaking out on everyone around us. And sometimes we don't even realize this the extent of what uh, pours out of us onto other people. And as you know, some people might be willing to share with you how things landed on them. Others um, are not quite so much. But uh, the reality is, if we don't deal with the issues that are under the hood in our life, that it does leak out and it affects our relationships with our kids, our spouse, our work relationships and our neighborhood relationships. So one of the most important things we can simply do in our humanity is to become more aware of who we are, deal with the experiences that have forged us into the men and women that we are, and allow God to begin healing us at the deepest parts of our being. And in my book, Sacred Space, that's a, one, of the, one of the key things that I, I'm longing for people to experience is this movement from bitterness and brokenness to healing and transformation. And that can only come from God as we do work with Him um, at the deepest level of our souls. Uh, in the Bible, there's one of the books is the book of James. And uh, in chapter 5 of James... James is talking about praying for each other and experiencing healing, and he says this, he says, uh, if you want to be healed, therefore, then confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I've heard this verse talked about, preached about, sermonized about a lot of different ways, and many of them miss the point. Many of them think it's a it's a lucky charm talisman verse that, all right, I'm going to claim this verse, and I'm just going to confess my sins, and someone's going to pray for me, and I'm going to experience healing, because that's what the verse says. Or does it? It, it, it actually is an invitation to something that's much deeper and much more true and much more real. Just from the beginning, the starting with, if we confess our sins to each other, that has an implication of relationship. Not just dumping our stuff or revealing what's going on in our lives, but entering into a trust-filled relationship. Because let's be honest, we don't just share our sins with anybody, particularly with Twitter and Facebook and the world today, right? Uh, Those things get broadcast. So who do you share your deepest wounds with? Who do you share your struggle with? Who do you have in your life that you would go to to say, man, this thing just happened and my soul is just spent and tired? 
you're going to call your friends whom you can trust with the most vulnerable part of who you are. James is actually talking about the power of healing that comes through the relationships in the communities that we live in. So we come to each other and we share our burden. We share our wounds. And then we pray. When we pray, we are, we are daring to believe that the source outside of us that is greater than us hears us, actually cares about us, and would love to step into that wound and, and begin healing it. And he closes that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we believe together and we lift up our friends in faith together, and when the community is alive with the presence and the manifestation of the risen Jesus, then we experience transformation in so many levels. Even just think about it, if we're sharing what our problems are, there could be advice that comes back to us. There could be uh, some 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 confirmation or even some ideas of what could help us with maybe what was struggling so much. That there's healing in community is one of the most profound truths of that scripture in James. Not just a lucky charm to claim to try to get something healed, but rather an investment of your life with others to see God move. Yeah, Henry Nouwen, who's one of my favorite authors and has been a big part of my formation in my life. He says this, he says that the friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not healing, not curing, that is a friend who cares. That is powerful. You know, the rabbis would tell us that uh, uh, one of the most important things we can do for a friend who is hurting or wounded or struggling is, or particularly if they've lost a loved one, is to, to sit Shiva with them. In fact, the tradition would be if you lost a loved one and your friends would come in for seven days, they would simply sit with you, be still to be quiet, to absorb the weight of your wounds in their silence without trying to fix, without you know trying to cure it. In fact, in the book of Job, when Job's world falls apart, not once, but twice, and it's, it goes from great to horrible, his friends show up and they begin to sit Shiva with him. And for those seven days while they are silent, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The problem for Job started on that eighth day, right, when they, be, when they began to give him their advice and it went south from there. But the reality is when we can simply sit with each other while their wound is exposed, creating a community of trust, so much healing takes place. Those broken, bitter wounds start to experience healing and a movement towards sacred wounds. Another author, Lewis Smedes, he said that forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. 
That is potent because we all know that when we have been wounded by someone else and those wounds remain and, and the the closer we are in relationship to the person who wounded us, the harder it is to forgive. And we have this misnomer that we have finally forgiven when we've forgotten about the whole event. And that's just not a, a, a truth. It's not a reality. It's, it's really not going to happen. You see, we don't forget our wounds because they are embedded into the cellular structure of who we are. All it takes is a song, uh, a smell, a sound, a look, and all of a sudden we can be catapulted years after having forgiven someone. We're right back freshly into the wound and we're wondering, man, did I, did I actually forgive them? Maybe I didn't because I'm angry again. And Smeeds is reminding us that there are some things that uh, you know, we just can't forget. But forgiving what we can't forget creates a new way to remember. That's the power of forgiveness. We begin to see that wound differently. We begin to see it from a different angle, a different perspective. Grace begins to enter into it and, and things radically change. It, it, it changes the memory of our past into a hope for the future because we've allowed God into our lives. I remember one day I was driving, I was a long time ago, I was, I was a new Christian and I was listening to the radio and there was this pastor who was a master storyteller on the radio and his topic was, was important, it was intriguing and he was sharing real life experiences of pain and struggle and they just tapped my heart and he made this statement and revealed that the truth of the matter is that the people that God is going to use the most profoundly and most powerfully, those people he also breaks the most deeply. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was stunned. I, I, you see, I thought that this whole following God thing was that if I did the right things, if I lived my life in the right way, A plus B equals C, right? If I did this and this and this, then God's job in response to my, my newfound religious mathematics was to ensure that I never experienced pain or struggle or wounds or anything in life. If I did life His way, then His job was to make sure that my life was like always happy, always sunny, always abundant, always victorious, and that there would never be any shadow. And when I heard this radio preacher say that, my belief about who God was, my concepts about fairness and faith, they're being challenged in a very real way. I remember thinking, you know, would God really want to hurt me? You know, why did Jesus suffer so much if I have to suffer too? That just didn't make sense to me. And I would think, isn't God supposed to be about good things, victory, overcoming, and, and power? You see, I was, I was caught, like so many of us are, between the world of commercialized Christianity as a commodity and the raw truth that wounds are simply a part of the journey. And not just a part of the journey, but a necessary part of the journey. In my life, as the years would roll out, I would learn God is paradox and that somehow our life in Him transcends beauty and ashes. Belonging to God is not so much about the elimination of pain or trouble, but rather it's about His love, His presence in the midst 
of our pain and our trouble. He stands in solidarity with us, holding our dichotomistic experiences together by His grace. Because you see, we follow a wounded God, so it follows that we would be a wounded people. Have you ever asked yourself the question about after Jesus was taken down from the cross, laid in the tomb and the stone was rolled over the entrance and the seal of Pilate was, uh, was, was laid on that tomb, and then he rose from the dead. He exits the tomb in resurrection power, but after Jesus rose from the dead, why didn't the Father obliterate and eliminate the marks, the wounds that sinful humanity had carved into his son's body. And you see, after Jesus resurrected, he appeared to his followers and he was identified by his wounds. See, I am Jesus. Look at the wounds in my side, my feet, and my hands. You know, Thomas, who was the great modern thinker, full of skepticism and a demander of empirical proof, grumbled, you know, grumbled to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And Thomas wasn't with them when Jesus appeared the first time, but a week later, he's, Thomas is with the disciples and Jesus makes an appearance again and he makes a remarkable entrance by moving through a door without opening it. <laughs> His first conversation is directed at Thomas and, and this is, I think, just the love of Jesus for his struggling disciple. His words to Thomas were not words of disgust. They weren't words of reprimand. They were words of grace. They were, they were unknowing. See, God knows where we're stuck. He knows what damage our wounds have made. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Go ahead. Stop doubting and believe. <laughs> you see, Abba, the Father, didn't erase the wounds because they had become sacred wounds. Sacred wounds are covenant wounds that secure God's presence in our experience if we would simply stop doubting and believe. Jesus will never forget you. He will never abandon you. In fact, Isaiah 49 says this, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Huh. Two types of wounds. Wasted wounds and sacred wounds. There is a cavernous difference between the two. The type of wound that you're carrying will determine the state of your health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, even your physical health. The good news is that God happily takes trade-ins though, right? <laughs> he patiently waits for me and for you to bring our bag full of broken toys and broken dreams. He knows your secret hiding place where there is a chest full of experiences that you'd rather forget about and just leave buried. Uh, but the problem with hiding and burying and trying to outrun past experiences and present realities is that anything left hidden makes us sick and it controls our waking and our sleeping hours. Sacred wounds. Man, this is God's process of bringing into the light of His love 
and healing all the hurts that you carry. A divine bathing in grace, bandaging them in mercy and soothing them with love and forgiveness. He trades, he trades our painful wounds for sacred wounds and begins the journey with us of encountering his healing. Sacred wounds connect you to the sufferings of Jesus. Those lead us to the resurrectional redemption of Jesus. And here the wounds no longer have the power to control you. God's redemption process unleashes a transformational encounter that moves us deeper into the person of Christ where every tear has meaning. And every tear is caught in God's providential hand. You see, it doesn't change the past, but it does change the way you see the past. And I think the church desperately needs to revisit a theology of suffering because we are a pain avoidant people and we have traded trusting in God's goodness, even though evil happens, for seven ways to be more prosperous or three days of getting God to do whatever you want. <laughs> have you seen a book with a title that goes something like, you know, seven suffering paths to connect you with God? Yeah, I haven't found that one on Amazon either. <laughs> You see, we become spiritually shallow when we only want a God who delivers the good stuff. You know, when something happens that doesn't fit our definition of good, our world goes into a tailspin, our faith gets shipwrecked, and we lose all hope. We think this is not the power-filled, abundant life that Jesus promises to those who trust him. But sacred wounds, ah, sacred wounds remind us that God is at work in all things, and he even redeems the atrocities that seem unjustifiable. God welcomes us into this courageous process because he knows that every tear we cry is creating an ever-expanding space in our heart that he longs to refill with joy. The process of redeeming our wounds begins with an honest assessment of who I am. Our wounds will remain wasted wounds, if we do not enter the journey of allowing God's healing into the broken places and spaces of our soul. So, we must decline our natural bent to hide like Adam and Eve in the garden and instead choose to let Abba know where we are, warts and all. And we're going to stop there for today. Know that you have some wounds. They can be bitter wounds. They can be unhealed wounds, or today you can choose to allow God to start the healing process of, of transforming them into sacred wounds. So may you be overwhelmed with God's grace and peace this week as you head out into the world. Don't forget to go check out my uh, website at www.montywright.com. That's Monty with a Y, M-O-N-T-Y, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, montywright.com. And we will see you on the next episode of the Naked Faith Podcast. Have a great week. If your problem won't go away and your worried night and day, hand it over. Get on your knees and pray. If you're sick, feeling low, got no money, got nowhere to go, hand it over. Get on your knees and pray.
romance of can't find All you need is a hand to hold It'll heal your body, feed your soul This road is dark and you can't find your way Let the spirit light the way Hand it over Get on your knees and pray Hey. Mm-hmm.